Welcome back to the Rugby Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, the Contact Coach. Today's guest, Luke Lewis, he's brilliant. I got to know him over the COVID pandemic, particularly via his Instagram account, LukeyLu2. Well worth a visit. The content is first class. He's got an SSC background. He's a rugby coach, originally from Wales, now living and working in the US. Just a brilliant coaching conversation. I know you're going to find some golden nuggets in there. And also, you will be interested in the coach education series that I now have running. Um, we've had some great guests so far. We've had Jace Ryan from the Crusaders, Nathan Gray from the Wallabies, Kane Jury from the Highlanders, just to name a few. So go to thecontactcoach.com forward slash coach education and you're going to learn all about these education webinars. But now it's time to jump into the conversation with Luke. So wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing right now, I hope you enjoy. Luke, an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the podcast, mate. Thanks for thanks for making time for me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for asking me to come on, mate. Now, tell me where you are. Give give the listeners an idea of where you are right now. Um, at the moment, I'm in America, so I'm living in the northeast in Pennsylvania. Um, I moved here last year to coach in Penn State University, so I'm still here at the moment. Nice. So you're in. You're in Pennsylvania. It doesn't sound like you're from Pennsylvania. Where are you from? <laughs> no, I am Welsh. Um, so I'm from Snesley in Wales. Um, obviously, a huge history in rugby. So uh, I was brought up playing rugby. Um, There's always been a passion of mine. Um, and I moved out here, oh gosh, five years ago to do a master's degree in strength and conditioning. Um, and yeah, like we can go into it, but I just essentially went full circle and came back into rugby. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying being back into something I'm passionate about. Nice, mate. Well, look, before we jump into the rugby, I need to know the difference between um, Pennsylvania and Lenefli. Does anything does anything stick out to you immediately? Well, the weather's a lot uh, similar. Um, <laughs> when I when I first moved to america i was actually living in florida okay um which for my uh ginger pale complexion was a little bit of a (laughs) a challenge at times (laughs) and i moved up here and i was like wow it it actually looks like wales like there's a lot of mountains a lot of green fields and trees and i was like wow it feels great and then uh winter my first winter rolled around and then i thought oh this is nice like the snow coming down and and then you would realise then you have to be out there up to your knees, up to your hip in, in snow, shoveling the, the snow. So I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know if, it, if I'm built the first at the moment, especially having lived in Florida for so long. No, I, I look, I, I can't agree more. I'm, I'm in Connecticut in New England as well. Like <laughs> yeah. the, first, the first snowfall is always brilliant, great fun, but yeah, it gets pretty tire, uh, tiresome after three, four months of digging your car out, you know. But yeah. um, we'll enjoy it around the Christmas time, which is right around the corner for us right now. But now, really cool, mate. So you mentioned um, some of your back. Give us some of your playing background uh, back in Wales, like, and what kind of set you on your journey to to coaching. Okay, um, so I started with most kids playing in lo- my local village. So my my local village is Vellum Hall um, internationally. Started playing at like seven years old. Played all the way up until senior. Um, and along the way, I was, I was lucky enough to get into the Scarlets, 
um, regional age grade teams so played the 16s, 18s, 20s, um, was in the Wales 16s team and the under 20s team. And what, what position um, were you like? Hooker. I was hooker, yeah. Nice. So the short, chopsy one on the field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, few, but, a few of you down in club land in Wales, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I um, played my rugby there and went to a very good rugby college, College Sirgar, um, in Llanetli. So, you know, I really, really enjoyed my rugby there. I think that was like the first um, real experience of mine to have like a full-time rugby programme because, you know, we were, stud- we were full-time students, but nice. we had training sessions set aside within no schedule and, and training games and, you know, actual fixtures and, and strength and conditioning. And I think that's when it kind of I realized, oh wow, this is this is like serious stuff. Um, but for us, we were just local kids, you know. And um, it was just the the coaching there. I feel like really sparked something in me that I was like, wow, I, I would love to do something like this. Um, and we really got on with the coaches. It were you know very very good group of coaches, very knowledgeable. But I think I just loved the way they coached us. Um, and again, like I just said earlier, I, that's that sparked something in me to to want to go into coaching. And I actually did um, sports and exercise science there in the college, and stayed on. They actually they were actually running um, the degree out of the college. It was supposed to be for it, it was under the University of Wales, but mm-hmm. you could actually sit it in the college itself. And that nice. enabled me then to do some part-time classes, but also be full-time coaching. Um, so that's essentially what I did. Once I finished playing in college, um, I went into coaching. So I just essentially interned under these four coaches. I had an absolute blast. Um, yeah, enjoyed my time and, nice. and just learned a lot from them. Um, so that basically started my, my coaching interest and career. And apart from apart from yourself, obviously, what sort of or type of player came out of your college? And surely it must have been a conveyor belt for for the regions and for Wales. Yeah, a lot of great players who are highly linked to the Scarlets, uh, mm-hmm. the Scarlets Academy. So there's a lot of players in my year group. You had Scott Williams, centre, played for Wales. Um, a year above me was um, Gareth Davis, scrum half for Wales. Um, there was a lot. Ali Davis plays for the the Saracens. Nice. Um, a lot of absolute quality players that came through, mm. and and the good thing was like a lot of them weren't essentially in the academy at the beginning, mm. but had the, they they were given the opportunity to play and train as somewhat of a uh, professional in a more professional environment than what they'd probably been exposed to in the past. Right. And then that kind of spurred them on then in terms of being able to continuously train and get better and then get picked up by the academy. So the role that the college actually plays, particularly in picking up some younger athletes that maybe didn't or were slightly overlooked previously, mm-hmm. um, it plays an absolute massive role in that in terms of player development. So now put, um, that's, that's really cool, mate. Like you're obviously in and around a, a true, true rugby environment. Um, now think back to when you were a player there. What was the coaching like from a 
a player point of view. So you're now the player at once you're going back to your playing days. Yeah. What, did, what, what did it feel like when you turned up on a, say a Monday morning or a Tuesday night? Um, I just always, I, I don't know if anyone felt any different, but I, I never ever felt like I didn't want to be at a rugby training session. Mm. Like I always felt like I should be there. And that's, that was the most important thing to be doing. And I just loved being there. Now, um, was that your, was that, intrinsic to you or was that the environment they created or both i think it was a bit of both um i always held i always felt like that throughout my entire playing career wherever i really was um but i think they did a really good job at creating an environment that we were all playing for each other and it was an environment that we enjoyed and that's mm. why i kind of looked at this i thought wow this is awesome i've created this um teams previous but maybe like three, four years before I actually joined or came in to the, the team. Uh, they had been successful in the past. So there was this almost, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not anticipation. They're kind of expecting you to... yeah. Expectation to keep the standard alive. Yep. Um, and I definitely felt that myself when I was leaving too, because the younger boys that were coming in, you pass that down and there's mm-hmm. an expectation that you have to do, you know, do right by the badge and, and by the coaches themselves. Uh, something they did do, which was interesting that I only realised like maybe in the last year before I left was they had said like all the younger players coming in, you know, you, so they had like a saying, I can't remember, don't smile until March or something like that. <laughs> so you keep the younger players on edge. So that, you know, it's a little bit more autocratic in terms of, you know, you, you don't mess up or you can't joke around with us until you've proved yourself in the group and then you're actually working hard and working for yourself and working for the team. And then you be, you know, it gets a little bit looser. Um, because when I was, when I first joined, I was like, oh, these coaches are having a laugh and joking around with these older boys. I wish I was, I was like that. Oh, yeah, that relationship. Mm. But it made you like work harder in terms of all right, I got to prove myself and I have to show that I'm I want to be part of this group and I I can be professional and then you know those small things add up for a young, a young player I suppose. Did you so was that was that um, an environmental thing like do you think that could be transplanted elsewhere Do you think it was unique to your environment that well did it work Do you think it worked. Yeah, I mean, we were British champions and unbeaten for two years when I was there. So I think okay. it was so it definitely good. it definitely it worked really on the though. field. Yeah, it definitely worked on the field. Obviously, the yeah the hardware has got stuff to show about that, and you and you obviously feel it worked off the field as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it it in terms of empowering players, particularly the older boys or the leadership team. Um, they had a lot of empowerment and were held accountable for mm-hmm. holding the rest of the squad accountable. And I think that transcends a lot through the entire squad where it's not so much, you know, the coaches are saying, this is how it goes. Everyone has to listen to us. Um, they really did listen to what we believed in. And um, that's something that I took away from that environment to try and implement in anywhere that I go um, as a coach. because. Yes, I have certain philosophies and ways I want my team to be 
conducting themselves. But ultimately, I can't just dive into a different team and say, okay, this is how it's going to go because mm. you're going to lose, you're going to lose them straight away. Um, and I think that's what something they did really well was they knew they got to know us as a group and what kind of made us tick, um, and then kind of evolved their philosophy and their way of thinking around something that we believed that was true to us and that's something that we could carry with us. And then the nice. leadership group then was something that would, you know, they would just cement that. So it wasn't as if coaches were chasing us up all the time and doing mm-hmm. the, to do this and that. We had players in leadership groups uh, setting the standard. Nice. Um, and so it sounded like there was, there was alignment there. Now, what, what does that actually look like? Like, how do you, um, get that alignment on a on a daily basis is it is it conversations is it text messages is it emails is it how how is it how is it brought to life um thinking back to then i'm not i can't not too sure how we actually did that back then um but in other groups and environments i've been in i think it's really important to get a, a core group of players um that are going to be a leadership group and should be meeting every week to discuss what's been going on, what's the talk in terms of what players are unhappy with, what players are really happy with, what they like, any small things that have happened throughout the week that may affect somebody. Mm. Because it's really important for the coach to have that feedback because then it's it's not so much that you're individually going through everyone and being like, okay, like what what did you go through? This Are you okay? Mm. Um it's kind of like a uh, you know you're getting some feedback from somebody that they that they trusted or somebody that's seen it firsthand um, and make you aware of it. So I think that's something that's that's huge for players as well because they feel that responsibility that okay I'm going to pass this information on, but I can also positively impact this person that the information is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, again, like I said earlier, it's not so much just the coach just going around and trying to influence everyone. The empowerment is there so that it, it transcends down to every player in the squad. Okay, that no, that's really, really interesting. And then I noticed that you mentioned you you went on to do strength and conditioning and more and coaching around um, that side of the game and also coaching um, a team and, and coaching individuals, rugby specific um, plays and um, and everything around that environment. Do how do the two professions, as it were, how do they entwine into each other? And what what can we learn as um, rugby coaches from strength and conditioners and, and vice versa? Um, I think they should be working, as you said, entwine far better than what I've witnessed in the past. Uh, some teams, you go there and they have this very synergistic uh, understanding of what the, the strength and conditioning coach wants to, to focus on, but also then there's some, some good work in terms of, okay, this matches up very well with X, Y, and Z skills that we're trying to do from the sports coach. Um, but I feel like the lower you go down, there's a lot of like lack of understanding of what the strength and conditioning coach is trying to do. Um, and sometimes I feel like the strength and conditioning coach, although they know a lot about physical uh, training and how to get somebody 
physically prepared for the demands of rugby. What they do lack is the communication and the understanding of the sport itself. Because, yes, you can plan out something that's so specific and perfect on paper to be like, this is how we're going to get these guys aerobically fit doing X, Y, Z. This is how we're going to get them uh, faster. Uh, the acceleration is going to be improved or the max velocity is going to be improved and we're going to do X, Y, Z. Um, but how they implement that is the issue. And I feel like that's a communication aspect. So having moved away from rugby coaching, because I started, like I said, maybe I was about 19 years old when I started rugby coaching. And then I moved to America when I was 25. And ever since I've been doing strength and conditioning in various sports. So that was my challenge. I wanted to push myself out of rugby. So I did all American sports and learned how they implement strength and conditioning in, in the actual sports. So I had to like learn the sports again. Um, and then, like I said, just done full, full circle back to rugby. And it's really helped me to take information away from different sports and how they implement it into the sporting, in sporting environments and what's kind of like non-negotiable. So um, rather than really being pig-headed and stubborn and be like, this is how we get fast and stick into it, um, really looking at, okay, asking the sports coach, what's the plan for this week? And looking at the week and understanding what the coach is really trying to pull out of the week and then and identifying, okay, I can actually do um, this, this, and this. So Adam and Sigley just said speed. We could, we could really plan speed in the warm-up here, and that's going to have a positive impact on the following skills that follow. Um, so it's a long-winded way of, of answering. I feel like both professions are obviously very, very good at what they do and totally understand their own silo in terms of their knowledge. The main thing that the issue for me is the communication and how to co cohesively plan um, both sides and met, you know mould it into one. Hmm. I've had no really great stuff there, and I think there will be some listeners who who do have access to uh, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, but there will also be many out there on more your grassroots level that that don't have that who are who are rugby coaches who are either working with a mini team or junior team or senior team and obviously each environment is slightly different but if you were as coming from your SSC background if you were going to try and implement um one thing into environment you think would would instantly improve a a rugby team is there anything what stands out or is it just way too broad of a, a question to to answer uh, no so like you said, for the example, so any younger athletes, but even seniors that don't have a strength and conditioning coach and the rugby coach is kind of trying to implement um, conditioning, what you'll see is it's kind of like a little bit of both. And it, it, it muddies the waters in mm. terms of what the, ad, uh, what the stimulus is being given. And the adaptation is not going to be what you actually want. Um, a lot of the time, it's really best to polarize things so if you wanted aerobic work you know you have to be doing long periods of of running at low level and but you can involve skill levels and things like that that's pretty simple to get a lot of aerobic work so in season any of your training sessions you know you're going to be working aerobically so 
um, a lot of the sports skills and training and the games that will take um, that will that will stim- stimulate the aerobic system enough so that will actually do the, the training stimulus for you but the, the main thing that's really really overlooked and isn't trained enough and in the right kind of environment is speed and and the lower you go down you'll realize that like people will plan speed and they don't understand the recovery element of it so they they get the guys to sprint maybe 50 meters and then 10 seconds later they're doing another sprint now that's not speed um it's not enough um recovery in between sprints so if I was going to say to somebody that was a rugby coach that was coaching a local team and they wanted to get something that has a massive, massive impact on sport and is very, very simple to train, is it's speed. So you want to be getting yeah. some sprints, but make sure every every 10 metres that they cover, there should be a minute rest, roughly. So if you're getting these guys to do one sprint, you know, that's two minutes rest. But I know it's difficult to to plan that because the sports coach is thinking, Oh my God, two minutes rest when <laughs> nobody's doing, nobody's doing anything for two minutes. Mm. So what I like to do is I'll give them a sprint and then they can go into pattern play. So I would split forwards and backs and they just walk through patterns. So <clears throat> for argument's sake, like when I came to, to coach with you in Yale and we just walked through some, some plays off nine, simple things like that. That's really low level. You can, you can, qualify that as as your rest because it's not actually strenuous so you get different pods of systems walking in get a pod of four almost like coming off nine walk through what what the different uh, options they have off nine mm-hmm. whether the carry or pass switch the next group in and then by by the time each person each group has had a run through or walk through that's two minutes and they go again um, no, that's that's because, gold mate like, like, absolutely like instantly there like every 10 meters what was it 10 seconds rest every every 10 meters it should be roughly a minute rest, a minute especially rest. If they're run- okay yeah especially if they're running at max outputs and that's the thing you're only going to get faster if you are sprinting maximally um and what tends to happen is maybe like a coach will say, okay, we're doing speed today as a warm up, and they do one sprint, and then literally t- 20 seconds later, they're doing another sprint. Mm. By the fourth sprint, it's not speed. Their, their outputs are so low that they're not getting any adaptation at all. So um, you could even do, you know, let's think four sprints. That's all it would take max output, four sprints. Of how say long? It's 30, <clears throat> say it's 30 meters. Mm-hmm. So you do a 30 meter sprint. Let's say you have two to three minutes rest in between, but but during the rest, you're actively working on technical yeah, and tactical aspects of, and and it helps a lot of. Obviously, I'm a forwards coach or most catered towards forwards, and I have seen like this massive um, impact on some of the players because when we go into like these games, even just the even just at jogging speed, a lot of players get fried in their head because they're like, I've never been standing in this spot before because normally I, I'm the I'm the ball carrier or normally mm. I take it off I take it off nine first. So doing like very slow repetitions and them understanding, okay, this is for recovery. But because they're forced to recover, 
the only thing they actually have to think about is walking through each play. And it's, it happens so slow that they can see, okay, that person does this, that person does that. Uh, and they have more reps in terms of getting into different positions, not just slotting into the one they're always familiar with. Um, so even though, even though they're getting a huge stimulus and adaptation, adaptation physically in terms of the speed, they're also getting that technical and tactical aspect of the training that's really slowed down and really focused on. And then when you go into the actual training session itself, they are already, they've already mm. had three, four reps of, of this and they yeah. know what they, exactly what they should be doing. I, I like that a lot. So you've got intense physical exertion and then you're turning the bodies off, but turning the brains on with, yeah. with the low key work now. So say so you do four sprints, uh, you do that. Excellent. On a Monday, for example, what would, what would that look like throughout a season? How often would that be repeated to start seeing it in game time? And, and again, I know it's quite broad brush, but in general, how would you train this every week, for example? Yeah, yeah. So um, residual for speed is, is very short. So we want to be making sure that we trickle in a little bit of everything physically, especially for semi-pro amateur athletes. Um, because they want to be able to maintaining certain physical components or abilities. And put it this way, how many times have you gone to training as a player and a coach in a, in a kind of local level environment and uh, you don't see one of the players for maybe a week or they missed the Tuesday and now they're at the Thursday session. You're thinking like, well, you weren't here on Tuesday because that was mm-hmm. the important one. And now we want to play on Saturday here on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. So if you just yeah. say, okay, we're just doing speed on Tuesday. Like if, if that one person misses the Tuesday, then that's like two weeks now that they haven't right. had speed. Right. And okay. then, and then the next, the next time they, they go into the full sprint could be two weeks later, but it's, it's on the Saturday. They've made a break. They haven't done speed for two weeks, two, possibly three weeks. And, you know, they're a real risk of, of injury now because they haven't been able to expose themselves to these really fast ground contact times, very sharp um, muscle contractions mm. and muscle relaxations. And that's where the injuries happen. Okay. So you would, you would do it regularly, right? Every session? Yeah, I would, de- I would definitely do it. You, you could also do... Um, for example, Tuesday, typically with um, semi-pro amateur sport, Tuesday will be like your big contact day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you if you would disagree or not. Um, yeah. So yeah, look, it depends. Here, here at Yale, we're Monday, Wednesday, Friday, play Saturday. So Monday is how we break down our analysis and we call it our install day. So it's actually quite, it's more recovery. So it's, it's walking through um, what we're trying to achieve for the week. Maybe something we're trying to get better at from the game before, but again, just kind of moving those bodies. And then Wednesday, because that's the middle of the week for us. So it's the furthest away from a game, um, but also the longest amount of time to recover. That's when we tend to have more of our physical day. Um, and there is there's definitely contact 
in there, but it, it's certainly not the amount of contact <laughs> that it used to be when I was when I was playing. <laughs> it's it's very it's a lot more controlled. It's a lot more timed, um, and it's it's kind of based on. Uh, right, we're going to get our work done in this time period because uh, I've been guilty as a coach going, nope, more, 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 more. <laughs> and then you're like, one more, lads, one more. Inevitably, someone gets injured in that last That's one. one. You, in that, yeah. oh, it's happened to me. Um, and yeah, so to answer your question, Wednesday for us. But yeah, I would say Tuesday for your Tuesday, Thursday night teams um, <laughs> because, yeah, that's when it's the furthest away from a game. Yeah. So with that in mind, that's what I tend to say to strength and conditioning coaches, obviously the, the rugby training has priority over everything that we do as strength and conditioning coaches and everything that we actually do is supplemental. So if you are working in semi-pro amateur level and you work, you train Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesdays on like typically going to be your like you just said very physical contact focused day because it's it's the training session that's furthest away from um, the Saturday performance and a lot of it you know is smaller spaced in terms of what the, co- the sports coach is trying to create so if the sports coach is trying to focus contact area tackle technique and then we go into some kind of game where that's that those skills are being challenged in a, in a game simulation. There's not going to be a great deal of space on the field typically because they want to have the element of more contact areas. So mm. you're not going to be, players aren't going to be hitting top speed. And that's where acceleration, deceleration, really sharp changes of direction are going to be happening. So in terms of your warm-up as a strength and conditioning coach, you should be focusing on those physical components that are really underpinning the skills, the technical skills themselves. Mm. So you can do your acceleration warm-ups and techniques first and get some acceleration sprints out in the warm-up, doing change of direction mirror drills, which are a little bit fun, um, but they're also challenging. So the, tell me, tell the, me more about those mirror drills, mate, because I'm sure there's people on here who be like, yes, this is a good time to, to give this a go. Okay, so um, there is very simple ways of doing it. So I like to warm up my athletes, change of direction-wise. If you don't have a band, it's pretty simple anyway to do, but you can put a band around the person's waist and get them to step away from you in terms of like lateral shuffling. And that's going to help them really focus on having a sharp shin angle so that they can actually push themselves laterally rather than some people if you look at some people they'll just kind of skip and get some some air and they're not really driving across in the direction they want to go so that the actual band gives you some tactile or external cue or something to push against um and then in terms of mirror drills what i like to do is i just get two players one-on-one facing each other one has to lose the other one and obviously the other one has to mirror um and essentially, it's just up to the athlete. So how they want to step the person, but they have to be able to control their body and use good good cutting me- mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really good challenging uh, environment because there's a lot of proprioception involved where they're looking at the other person and they have to focus on how their body's moving in space. Um, how we can develop that is then add a ball to the person that's actually uh, trying to lose the mirror. So 
they can focus on switching arms when they pass. So if I'm facing you and I, and I step to my left, I want them to switch the ball to the left so that they mm. have the, the, um, the right ha- arm available for a handoff potentially. And okay, vice yeah, versa, nice. if I step to my right, I can, I just got to switch hands. So there's, although it's physical, what we're doing is, is physical training. Um, a lot of it, I like to add in rugby elements so that yeah. it does actually help like the motor patterning of, okay, if I get on the left, if I'm on the right hand side of this person now, I got to switch my ball, the ball to my right hand. Um, so it, give, it gets you in good habits. Um, and then you can progress to like shoulder on kind of tackle or things like that. Um, another one, simple change of direction, but it also has a lot of acceleration, deceleration involved. It's just like a simple cone drill. So two players or however, you can line everyone up if you want, or it's really good to do it in, in small groups because obviously there's a bit more um, win-lose element because you can literally like count down the line and be like, all right, there's four guys next to me. Like I have to beat these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all it is, they all have a cone in their hand, get low, accelerate out maybe 10 metres. And then the main element is really decelerate well, drop down, drop your shin angle so that you can drop the cone, but also really project yourself back in the opposite direction and then sprint back to the line. So um, players get graded on how they actually cut, but then also like there's that win-lose element of like, if, if to be honest, if they have good cutting mechanics, they probably get out there first and win. So good, good technique is normally positively reinforced in drills like that. So um, I think I think most of us will understand accelerating and its importance. What tell me more about decelerating and what context in a in a game or a game situation why that's important because I suspect much like myself um, we've never really given the decelerating as much um, thought as as accelerating. Yeah. I, if you think of it in terms of sporting context, except especially when you're in close quarters, um, there's a lot of acceleration, deceleration, because you get off the line in terms of in, in defence, so you're sprinting up off the line. If there's a tackle made next to you that you're not going to be involved in, if you're not, if you if you don't have the ability to really decelerate well, hmm. then obviously in terms of physics, you're going to keep going straight. Mm. So everybody will decelerate the the ability to stop their body from keeping moving on that same plane. Mm. So to decelerate hard and really backtrack into the line, that's a massive quality. And I think you'll see that in rugby league a lot where they really push hard up in the line. And then they obviously have to get back back into the line. So the deceleration, it's essentially acceleration up deceleration and then back um so it has massive importance in terms of defensive uh, line qualities because if you don't have that really mm. strong ability to to bring yourself to a halt and change your direction back then you're not going to be getting back in the line in time no really really interesting like i i like that a lot and it's something i picked up from this conversation and thinking out loud as well like potentially you've made a line break out wide. There's a covering defense, the ability to stop, cut back in, or not completely stop, but slow down, keep that defense going on their angle to cut back in. Would that, would that be an example as well? Yeah. So um, 
agility is obviously a massive part in that in terms of if you made a line break and the fullbacks coming across huge that, that's another thing that I feel like we, when you ask me about uh, what people should be training I said speed mm. but also agility is a massive one so mm. changing the body's direction at speed and you obviously see that with the back three especially when they make breaks and it's like a 1v1 situation your ability to actually hit the ground very hard and project yourself in what, a different what do direction. You mean, what do you mean hit the ground very hard, mate? So in terms of a, a sidestep, yeah. what you want to be doing is running. The best people, that, the best sidesteppers aren't the one that really soak into the ground. They're, they're, they have the ability to be sprinting. And as their foot hits the ground, it's very, very stiff and, and hard. And they just press off. That. They have that ability to plant the foot and create a lot of torque and, and uh, force in the hip mm. and the knee and just drive out into a different direction. I think that's something that isn't really focused enough. Mm. Um, and that's where potentially a lot of injuries happen because somebody goes to sidestep at a, at a very, very fast contraction because you think your leg is now coming down to the floor. It's not fully contracted and you have to be able to withstand a lot of force going through your leg and, and the ability for the, the muscle to switch on very quickly mm. and contract. That's very, that's a very high skill or physical ability, um, which I feel like a lot of the front five probably don't possess, but um, a lot of what the front five do is to the opposite side of the continuum in terms of, you know, a lot of isometric slower strength. Mm -hmm. So all the backs should have that ability to really cut and, produce force and, and talk around around their legs um, and if they can't like you just said if there's a situation where you're running and you really have to put on the brakes and and then change direction then yes deceleration is massive in terms of somebody coming across for you they've they're in a certain angle where you feel like you can't step with them so a very good ability is literally from going from full top end speed to then have an ability to just slow yourself down, decelerate, and then change direction. That's another massive skill as well. Nice, man. Nice. So I now real some massive golden nuggets in there. And I think we can all take that into our sessions as well. Is there now you as a coach, you just don't focus on the SSC. Um, you also do your your own team coaching and individual coaching around specifically around front row play, right? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so yeah, tell uh, me a bit more about that. So I obviously I played hooker and had a massive interest in line out scrum. I had a, a very, very good coach in, in college who was there in my that? coach. Name, name in, drop for me. I I, I Ross Evans. Um, cool. he and was my coaching. We, could we find him online anywhere? Oh, I don't know if he has social media, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but uh he is coaching Thunder Vri RFC in the Welsh Premiership. And he's the, he's been the coach in College Sirgar as well for a very, very long time. So I learned uh, an incredible amount from, from him in terms of a player, but also then as a coach. Um, and that's basically who I I got my inspiration to go into coaching, particularly like no coaching and things like that, because he would take me and a lot of the other guys to do individual line no throw in. Um, and also, you know, when you're throwing yourself and then watching other players throwing, you get to watch a certain picture or pattern and then listen to the feedback that they get. 
and I think you learn a lot from that. Um, so yeah, in terms of my coaching, I I started coaching at nineteen, and then that's young. That's young for a coach. Yeah. Well, how how did you how did you get into it? So I did my degree, uh, and as I was studying my degree, it was in uh, exercise science, but it was it was sports coaching as well. So I actually just went straight into the college, and as soon as I finished, I went straight back there to to coach. Nice. Um, yeah, I was loving it. So that was my role. It was just, I was doing a lot of skills coaching and I did line out throwing with, with the players. So like, yeah, I was maybe 20, 21 and the players were like 17, 18. So I wasn't really that much older than them. How, um, did, you, was, how did you earn their respect? Because it's a close age, right? And it's quite, a, yeah. it's, an, it's an interesting age that, but because I've done that the same as well, like coaching, essentially coaching your peers. Right. And it's yeah. 21 to 19. I can see there's there's a slight difference there, but they're they're in the same age group. And I'm just wondering how did you have to earn their respect? Was it naturally there? Like as a young coach, how did you how did you set your stall out? I think the thing that really helped me was I did a teaching degree mm. and that helped me a lot in terms of how to communicate to people. Um, and I, I, you know, I. I told myself early on, I was like, I'm, I'm not their friend. I'm here to coach. And this is my career that I'm trying to develop. But also, if I'm going to be really friendly and, um, you know, mess around with them as if I'm still a student, then they're not going to respect me and they're going to get away with a lot. So early on, I had to set my stall out in terms of like, this is how we want to do things. If you want to get better, I'm happy to help you. If you want to, for a better word, fuck around, then you can you can like leave. Mm. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that I was really hoping for early on was just, you know, if I hold myself accountable to a certain standard at, at a young age, then players that are younger than me that maybe don't really understand the fact like, oh, why is he coaching? They look at me and see like, I'm taking this serious. This is a job of mine. If you're on board, you're on board. If you're not, I won't bother with you. Um, mm. So I did have like a lot of buy-in at the time and it did help a lot that I obviously played there in the past and I had a good relationship with the coaches nice. and the younger players could see that and they were like, all right, okay, like don't mess around. Um, but not to say I was really autocratic. A lot of it was player-driven, but I just really needed to make sure that, you know, you don't you don't get run over as a young coach because um, <laughs> yeah. that can quickly, es- you, as you know, it can quickly escalate if if you have certain players that, you are a little bit too lenient with, you know, they, they, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile and then all of a sudden then that's five players and then your reputation's gone. So yeah, I think, uh, when you start on early on, you have to stick to your guns. And even if you ruffle a few feathers, you just have to remind yourself that this is a career path you're choosing. It's not, you're not here to be friends with players. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's so fascinating that because I've, I lived that as well, coaching at, um but yeah I coached from about 20 and I was coaching a team and I was I was player coaching and I was I was the better player um so I I got the respect for being the better player uh, arguably the the coaching I look back on now and I'm like oh did I did I do that but that that's part of it you know that's reflection and that's that, that's getting better but when we climbed up the levels really interesting when we climbed up the levels um and I was coaching a higher caliber player than I was um, and I was coaching the team at 22 whilst also coaching 22 year olds who 
I couldn't rely on just being the better player there. That was mm. that was really hard work um, because they would. And if you showed, you, you nailed it. If you showed too much weakness, as it were, they would just run all over you. But you've got to stick yeah. to your guns. But were you, what were you doing? Was it right? Was it not right? And I used to come home to my girlfriend, my wife now at the time going, this is awful. Like, this is <laughs> an awful experience. I'm not playing well. I'm not coaching well. I'm getting challenged. And in hindsight, it's the best experience I've ever had. Best experience because yeah. it's like, you, it makes you go away and think about your profession um, at a much deeper level. So even though I hated yeah. it and like getting challenged in front of the group, oh, I, I just, now I'm like, great, <laughs> bring it on, you know, because that's healthy <laughs> and that that's an environment. Yeah. And, and then there's rationale behind decision-making, but yeah, really interesting hearing you talk about there about you have to set your stall out. Right. And, and you yeah, have to, sometimes you have to fall on your own sword as a, as a new coach. <laughs> um, and then you learn those relationships, but yeah, that's, yeah, it was cool. Cool to hear it. It's not an easy profession. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think, like you, you said it just now, like, you have to go through that. And that every time somebody asks me that's, like, a younger person, a younger guy that wants to coach, and they ask for maybe, like, advice what to do, I just say, honestly, just go to your local team, oh, coach, yeah. and don't give up when it gets hard because mm-hmm. it's going to get so hard because you have all the best intentions in the world but that doesn't mean then that you're going to be coaching well. Like everyone yeah. has best intentions. It doesn't make you a good coach. It doesn't mean that the player is going to respect you or your ideas just because you have good intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hard thing to really understand. It's a really hard lesson at the beginning because, you know, when you're fresh out of school and everything, you know it from the book, you know everything from a book. Yeah. But in reality, when you apply it, you talk, you know, you're, you're talking to human beings and yeah. it's totally different. And you could get a certain reaction one day and the next week you could get a totally different reaction from the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what, what do you do now then? Like, are you prepared enough for plan B, C, D? Because it, you always have to be on your toes. And I think that was like a major thing for me that I really enjoyed, especially at a young age was literally just get thrown in the fire and be like, okay, oh, yeah. deal with it. Because if you don't, then this is it for you. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, a lot yeah. of people end up going like two or three years where they may be like assisting somebody else. And it's all well and good when you're like assisting stuff because you just add in a little bit, yeah. but you can shy away from the real big moments of like yeah. conflict and when there has to be change. Um, and you know you just watch while the other coach takes the burden of it but they feel like when you when a coach goes all right in you go this is all on you make or break I think you really learn something about how to really battle through some like strange emotion like it's a it's a very emotional as you know me like you oh yeah you, you know you're, you're obviously invested emotionally and then you, you want the team you want to succeed you want you to you personally you want to succeed you want your team yeah. to succeed. You want there's yeah, there's all sorts of, of pressures. And you've probably got a what I I struggled with was not coaching how I was coached. Uh, because you realize yeah. everyone's got their own different personalities, right? And but trying to take the best of all the coaches I've had. I've had coaches who honestly, rugby content, 
shocking. <laughs> but <laughs> their inf- the, the environment was one I wanted to be part of on a daily basis. Like I had so much fun. It was, it's where I wanted to be. On the other hand, I've had mega analytical coaches and I was like, wow, <laughs> he's on top of it. But I'm like, I don't want to, oh, you just don't make it fun. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's trying to marry. And none of those guys were wrong um or what they did it was just their their personality and it'd be interesting to see if we sat down now as as coach to coach as opposed to player to coach like it'd be interesting to see where their journeys went but yeah Mm. just trying to be trying to be yourself and also moving away from oh shit i've got a session in an hour's time I'm going to go on rugbydrills.com and just pull out a drill that looks pretty cool. And and then, and then you're just, you're just trying to trying to make it work. Right. And then no wonder, and the players see through that when you don't have the answers or um, oh, yeah. yeah. What, like, why are we doing this? And if you can't answer why you're doing it, <laughs> you should be doing it. And I've learned that. Yeah, exactly. Way. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Like, I think like, like someone's standing there going, you... why, why are we doing this? Uh <laughs> I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I <laughs> yeah. didn't have a heart to say because I googled uh, it an hour before yeah. because I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I've been there. Well, I've ha- been there. You have to go. You have to go through that, mate. Because like, if you don't, I feel like those really awkward, embarrassing moments will stick with you for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that's never ever happened to me again. And it may slightly happen again, but you never allow yeah. it to be so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you're just standing there scratching your head in front of like 30 uh, young players like to be honest boys I don't know <laughs> yeah. rugbydrills.com told me to do it <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh cool no I, look it's it's coaching is such a fascinating thing and I, I really want like coaches to as you say just work in any environment that you can you know if you yeah. if you're going to go into a big corporate you normally go in and you start making the coffees right if you if you're going mm. into a teaching profession, you're going to be doing substitute teaching again. Like you get an over shitty job when you're when you become to be a doctor, you're going to do med school and going at the lower end. You know, it's like coaching as well. Like just just coach and it's a people yeah. it's a people environment. And as this world's getting more automated, I think the need for that kind of personal interaction is is at a premium way before X's and O's of the sport. Um, yeah, which is which is quite interesting now. What so what what advice would you give to to coaches who are um are either on their journey or or thinking right now, shit, that's me. I'm I'm feeling like this is rough right now. Um and I know you mentioned to stick with it. Is there anything what's what's helped kind of be the guiding light for you? I would say something I was I was really bad at, and to be honest, I am still I'm not great at it, is asking for help. Mm. Um it's not a sign of weakness to be unsure of something and then to ask somebody else that you know that is more experienced than you for a little bit of guidance a little bit of help Mm -hmm. um I also was very poor at networking when I was younger because I felt like it was more of like some kind of fake thing that people did Mm -hmm. um when I was younger and I tried to shy, uh, shy away from going up to coaches and asking for their opinion and discussing things whereas now like us two, like we message back and forth mm-hmm. um, and we never even knew each other before that um, and yep. bouncing ideas back and forth. And I think it's so amazing, especially like you just said now, social media is so 
amazing for, for young coaches. So much content out there. Yeah. So many people out there that put content out there that it's almost like um, insulting to not utilize it. So yeah. you should reach out to these coaches because they're not like these random people that are unattainable. They're, they're coaches at the end of the day and they want to yeah. coach. And if they, if they want to, they, they, their goal is to spread information. So if you reach out to them, they're going, they're going to give you something back. Um, so I would definitely say reach out to people to people that you respect right. that do are doing the job that you want to do mm-hmm. and ask them about certain things. Don't bore them with the, with the whole, like, like you said, the X's and O's kind of thing of like, okay, tell me how you did this and then writing it down and you want it word for word. Mm. Ask them like the, the deeper questions about like how they actually got into the profession. What, yeah. what inspires them? What kind of information do they look for? Um, and to get to know them more on a, on a deeper level, I feel like people are a bit more uh, open to sharing their information. Then once yeah. you know, then they realize that somebody's not going like, "Hey, can you give me an eight-week program that I can use?" For, yeah, do you give know me what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I would definitely reach out to people, ask for help. But like uh, we said earlier, stick to it because there's going to be days where you really doubt yourself and you think, oh, "Shit, I." honestly don't know what I'm doing Mm. and that's totally fine because not everyone well you can guarantee that everybody is going through that to some Mm. Mm -hmm. degree but they just rely on the experience that they've had in the past that they know what works and unfortunately for a young coach you don't have a lot of experience to fall back on so you have to Mm. build that database so try things lean on the on the experienced coach of things, but also then ask for a little bit of leeway to try something. Because mm-hmm. if you don't try it, you never know you're never gonna know if if it works or not. So like success is built off a pile of failures. Mm-hmm. Just have oh, to nice. trial and I fail like and stay and stay with it until something clicks, put it in the bank, then try something else. Don't stick to that one thing then and think like this is how I coach, this is it. Like keep trying things read a little bit about somebody else they tried to they tried x y and z and something take that see if, if that works with your players um and yeah it's all about building your database nice real great advice and we we touched on there about um the amount of rugby content which is available and i i consume it daily you know and that's how i came across your yourself and that, that's brilliant it was just to reach out on instagram uh hey how's it going love your work fancy a chat and then that's how things things develop and so tell me a little yeah. bit more about your online presence as it were because covid has thrust that upon us and i think for <laughs> in a good and in a bad way you know i think it's yeah finding that happy medium but i think we've we've both particularly prospered through the use of online online content so tell me a little bit more about what what you get up to um in the in the social media world so so like you said um covid obviously ground a lot of our lives to a halt but also i feel like really uh, emphasized or forced us to look at ourselves about how we can be a little bit more self-efficient as coaches and what we can create and put out there without actually leaving the house. And I think that's, that's been awesome. Um, 
obviously for us as coaches, we want to be linked to teams, but also the social media has this huge kind of gateway for us to really connect with other people and put really good content out there without relying upon a team for us as our our purpose as coaches, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I try to do, you know, I just kind of struggling really over COVID because I was like, you know, I wasn't able to coach and I had just moved to Pennsylvania to, to coach Penn State and it was getting really tough. So we just turned to social media and online coaching. So I have my master's in strength and conditioning. So I, I do strength and conditioning programs for athletes throughout multiple sports from rugby, soccer, MMA. Um, obviously, I'm in America, so I'd say soccer, right? Football. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how long I've been here. I didn't even, uh, that didn't even cross my mind. People in the UK are going to be going, are you joking me? Soccer. Yeah. Uh, didn't even cross my mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here we are, USA. So rugby, football, MMA, um, all the different athletes that run that online. Um, but I run a lot, push, push a lot of the content through social media. So I have two aspects of my coaching. So I really push the strength and conditioning aspect. Um, but I also focus on the actual skills of rugby too, and, and especially line out throwing and scrimmaging. So, so where, where do you, where do you hang out most and how can we find you? Instagram is where I put most of my stuff from and it's uh, Lukey Lou too. I did try to open it up to see if people wanted me to change my name, but they were like, no, this is solid enough. Happy days. So yeah, go. it's Luke, 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 too. Um, I do put up strength and conditioning stuff. And I personally, when I was started to post about it, I just wanted to think of, okay, what would the younger version of me want to be looking at nice. when they were in COVID or when they, you know, trying to learn how to how to train because mm. for me i mean my brother's a professional bodybuilder so my outlook on training was you know this is how you train mm. um but obviously in terms of how to train to be an athlete and how to get bigger stronger faster it's a lot different to to bodybuilding style training and i feel like a lot of uh, a lot of younger athletes go to the gym you know, aimlessly at the beginning because they get a gym membership and they want to start in the gym and they start training. And where do they get their information from? It's mm. people in the gym that they see training. They see some big guy, but like, wow, we've got to be huge like that. And they start training like this, this bodybuilder. But ultimately, they need to be training in a different way. They need to be mm. um, preparing their body for certain bo- um, movements in the game, which you cannot do just on... Uh, on weights machines or dumbbells or doing a squat, you have to be able to jump, throw, sprint, change direction, all these kind of things. So this is what I'm trying to push a little bit, a bit at a time onto my social media, uh, especially on, it's mainly on my Instagram mm-hmm. to show just like younger athletes that don't have access, not even just younger athletes, but athletes in general don't have access to that kind of coaching. Um, and at the moment, you know, I have a, quite a few people online that we do one-on-one strength and conditioning. So it's all individualized for that one person. Nice. Uh, it t- takes into consideration, like if they work, if they're in school, when they can train, everything's individualized. Um, Very bespoke. 
yeah, very bespoke to the person. Um, like I have, for example, a 17 year old uh, Irish player, rugby player. Uh, and I do, I've been using the one by 20 system, which for me is like really challenged my, my opinion on strength, strength training, because it's totally different to what I was used to. Whereas like I have a uh, tight head prop that plays in national one in England and it's a little bit more like your traditional style training that you, mm. if you looked at it, you'd be like, okay, this is like strength training for a rugby player. Um, but everything that has in common, every, everyone has speed elements, everyone has jump elements, throw elements. Um, so that's basically what I do with the strength and conditioning. And then on the other, the flip side of it, rather than solely just doing strength, strength and conditioning, I really enjoy getting back into rugby and focusing on the line out in the scrum uh, because obviously it's something that I really focused on as a player. Uh, but I did coach for a long time when I, you know, I have coached for a long time now um, and it's something I'm really passionate about. So I do put up line out to throw in. I'm going to try and get more tutorial tip videos for line out throwing or the scrum. Um, and my aim is to, to release a program sometime soon for line out throwing where it's like a bit of a membership Nice. Um, and we get, you know, they've sent me videos in terms of what they, how they throw. Um, and that's the main thing for me. I, I don't like to have everybody throw in the exact same way because everyone has their own unique, unique technique. Yeah. I just have pillars in my mind of what, what's needed for a successful line of throw. And then I try and just mold that into the individual technique. So like, for example, out here, because you have American football, a lot of the players that were long snappers, they are turned into rugby hookers in, in rugby and they hold the ball like a long snapper would. So their hand is like underneath the ball and it's almost like they flick it like a basketball throw. Now for me to change all of that would be mm. de very detrimental for them. So it's just like, okay, how yeah. can I mold my pillars around how you're actually holding it? And it's, it's, we've, yeah, we've seen some like yeah. really, really cool uh, return in terms of success in, in throw-in. Um, so yeah, I just want to make something out there and have like a bit of an online membership where we can go back and forth and I can send nice. people some like tips, videos and feedback. And that's kind of where I can see that going. Great. And I've yet to see a, a long snapper who's turned into a hooker through it between his legs yet but maybe we might be <laughs> might be onto something there but uh mate yeah. is there is there ever like just before we wrap up um i always love asking fellow coaches about resources or books or podcasts that they consume uh what has what's helped them and i i want to ask you the same question is there any any go-to social media sites or books or podcasts that you listen to what the, the listeners might be interested to go and explore more around yeah so from a strength and conditioning standpoint um strength coach network is a, is like a membership that you you would pay monthly for but it's been absolutely phenomenal i'll be honest i did my master's degree in strength and conditioning but i probably learned a, far more about applying and real world problems from strength coaches on strength coach network rather than my actual master's degree and wow, what nice. it is is just there's thousands of of strength coaches from nfl all the way down to you know your amateur 
um, coach or aspiring strength coach. And there's uh, webinars on there every month um, from various coaches. And then what what's really good is the learning process from the, the webinar underneath. It's just an open forum. So coaches will just chime in with a question and you get like literally like professional coaches just answering you back and nice. saying like, Hey, this is how I did. This is how I do this. And this is how I applied it. So you should do this on this day, this on this day. And it's been a, a huge learning curve for me. Um, but also in terms of networking, I met a lot and of very, who runs, very good coach. Who, who runs that so, account? Uh, Kier Wenham Flat. Yeah. So he's rugby strength coach on Instagram. And he, um, he, he ain't shy on Instagram either. He's brilliant. No, mate, he's not. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Mental block. Yeah. Um, nah, cool. so, so yeah, it's, it's been great to connect with him and, you know, text him now and again and have a laugh. But honestly, he's done awesome with this, yeah. with this strength coach network. So that, in terms of strength and conditioning, Brilliant. That I would, I would, I would definitely say if you're an aspiring coach, get onto that. Um, I don't know too much about rugby specific podcasts, mate. I know probably you, you would know a lot more than than I would. I haven't really listened to podcasts rugby wise for a long time, but mm-hmm. uh, I did randomly listen to the Eddie Jones one. Yep. Um, and yeah, I, felt, I found that. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you're up. I'm waiting for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't want Eddie giving me shit. What's going on? Uh, but he, he did a good podcast, um, and I just enjoyed his um, his standpoint, especially when he was talking about how to um, select your coaching staff, and you want to have people that have different ideas to you or different personalities. You don't want somebody that's a guest man that's going to agree with you all the time. Uh, I just found like things like that very interesting. So in terms of like a coaching standpoint, that was actually pretty, that was, that was pretty good. But I don't know if you have anything to suggest to me, man, I, I'll definitely take a listen to something. Yeah. I'm, I actually, I tend to go outside of rugby a bit now. I like listening to like entrepreneur website um, yeah. podcasts and stuff like that, because a lot of the principles are the same, you know, a lot of it um, is around, is around messaging or organization of your business, i.e. organization of your environment or marketing, marketing's messaging. Messaging is how you get your point across to the group. So I tend yeah. to go, I think um, Dodge Woodall does a brilliant one called the eventful entrepreneur. Um, and I learn as much from that, nothing to do with rugby, uh, apart from he <laughs> yeah. runs a Bournemouth sevens, but his guests are very, very, very rarely rugby related, but the, mm. the lessons that you can learn from, from those types of podcasts, I just think are absolutely gold. And, um, I'm now listening to a, a book, audio book, um, quite famous now it's called belonging by Owen Eastwood. Um, it okay. follows all the different teams that he's worked with, like from the All Blacks, most recently in the rugby world, Harlequins, right? And about changing, changing the their environment and using kind of family, and I think it's whakapapa, the the New Zealand Maori term for, for mm. belonging, connection, and for family. It's called um, yeah, it's called belonging. And what I do, I tend to listen to those little books or on the way to coaching because I find them very yeah. inspiring. It gets me, it's almost like my warm up as a coach, like in that half an That's hour cool. in the car, listening to it, because it just gets you tuned on to, right, I'm going to be working with a group of, of people now. Um, how am I going to 
talk to them how am I going to interact and so it's like a warm-up for me you know like you see players now walking in and they've got their music on pre-game mm-hmm. and they're pumped up like it's almost like that sort of like reinforcement of like right you're going into your coaching session now being the right place so I, I so in terms of and that tends to be more rugby specific uh, or environment specific um mm-hmm. just to put me in the right place but I I like that on social I love seeing the stuff that you put out there around around the throne around the SNC the rugby trainer Ben John he he's got some awesome skill yeah. work um who else do I like um I forget the actual name but he does a lot of tackling stuff like RDP or something oh, like Andy, Andy Rayland yeah, he, he he put some cool stuff around football and American football yeah. and rugby and mate, you could just yeah, it's endless as you say. It's now I think now the challenge is is deciphering what's good and what's not. Um, as a because yeah. you can consume yeah. you can consume too much. Um, but yeah, it's I think it's a wonderful like just so much out there now. It's just going right. What what's <laughs> yeah. applicable to me? Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Oh, Luke, brilliant chat, mate. Um, I've learned so much from, particularly from the SSC point of view and, and what you do in, in your environment to get the best out of players. It's, it's been real good fun, mate. Um, as you said, it's been Thanks, great man. connecting over, over COVID yeah. and uh, the advice that you give around getting out there and, and chatting with people. This is why we're connected. So, um, yeah. yeah, man, it's been, it's been great. I look forward to seeing what you get up to and I look forward to seeing you uh, Thanks, sometime soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it.